Welcome to Gateway Church Wirral Online. We're so delighted that you're with us this morning. So great that you can be a part of our live streamed gathering. Just to welcome you to this space and what we're all about. Um, to say that we as a church, we're all about seeing people meet with God, encounter him for all his goodness and his grace and for lives to be changed by him. As a church, we want to see a world transformed, made better and better through every life transformed by the grace of God. So our hope and our prayer for you today, meet with Jesus in the things that we're saying, in the things that we're singing, in the way that we're opening up the word of God, which is alive for us today. We want you to know Jesus, know that he loves you, know that he has a plan for your life. And as we're going through our gathering this morning, do please connect with us here in this live stream space. You can fill in our connection card. The tab, I think, is at the top of your screen. Request prayer if you'd like to. There are great, friendly people who would love to pray with you. And do just connect with us in any and every way that you'd love to. As a church, we gather. That's what we're about today. When we come to the close of our gathering, I'll tell you how you can connect with us going forward into the week. So have a really great time. Be blessed. Enjoy yourself and enjoy Jesus, we pray. We've got some wonderful things that you're needing to put in your diaries right now on the 14th and the 15th of December. That's a Monday and a Tuesday. Uh, we're going to be doing drive-in church and it's going to be a drive-in Christmas carol candlelit spectacular. I think I've sold that enough, haven't I? Um, there's going to be great ways of having some fun around the Christmas story. Loads of stuff for all of the family. Reflective times and a wonderful message uh, brought to us by Jeff Lucas. So please make sure you're there. Uh, make sure that you're bringing people along with you as well. Um, we'll give you the sign-up details shortly and we'll let you know more about Christmas itself as the time approaches. As we get there, we're inviting everybody who's a part of our church to be a part of our love Christmas giving and blessing of our neighborhoods. We're going to be blessing um, upwards of 70 different families as the count stands, but we're, we're, we're embracing more as time goes on with, with hampers and with activity packs and with loads of great things that tell them that God loves them at Christmas time. And as well as that, we want to be blessing all of the, uh, those elderly and perhaps more isolated folks that we know, both through our care home, Orton House, and within our neighborhoods. And so what we're asking is this, please, can you consider right now and through this season of Advent how you can make a special financial gift towards our love Christmas giving? We're asking absolutely everybody to engage with this as a church. But more than that, we would love for people to be offering their time and their heart to be packaging up some of these hampers and gifts that we're going to be distributing in our communities. So you can let us know if you want to do that. And also if you want to be, as it were, Santa to a senior and uh, start baking and writing cards. Because not only do we want to bless people um, with our financial giving, but we want to bless people with that connection, that personal connection. So do please make sure you're, you're getting in touch with your transformed communities and all of our messaging so you know how you can be a blessing to those around you this Christmas time. So that giving is love Christmas in addition to whatever you might ordinarily give to the church. As we begin now to come into our time of worship, we're going to light our first candle of this Advent season and we would invite you to reflect upon the fact that Jesus has come to show you that love, that Jesus has come to transform our world and that we are wanting to be a part of that. So let's take our, our candle lighting and then let's come and worship Jesus together. Amen. 
Isn't our God great? It's wonderful to be with you this morning online. And of course, we've, we're into our family time at this time. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at different things on loss and grieving. And of course, we started off by looking at our emotions and the emojis. How have you been getting on with that, kids? Are you showing your emotions? Are you being able to share them with your friends? And of course, last week, Grace was talking about healing and how God heals us. Now this week, have you got your bubbles ready? Are you ready to make some mess at home? Sorry parents, bubbles might go everywhere. Now we're going to be thinking about making good choices and making the most of opportunities. So get your bubbles ready. Here we go. Are you ready? And let's wave them everywhere. Can you see all that? They're going absolutely everywhere. Now here, we can see, really, these are opportunities that God gives us. Now when you see your bubbles, what is your first reaction? Is it to pop them? Is it to try and catch them? Or is it that they just actually disappear away from you? You see, as children of God, we are called, aren't we, to share the good news. We are called to make the most of every opportunity that God gives us because we don't know what tomorrow brings. Now what I want you to do is put your wand or whatever your stick back into your bubbles and I want you to blow blow them again. There we go. And I want you to see if you can catch a bubble. They are going, let's see. Oh we've got one. No, sometimes it's difficult. We've got one there. You see, we've got one. If we blow it again disappears it goes off but I want to encourage you this morning I'm going to put that back there I want you to encourage you this morning is as you've caught that bubble okay it's important that we make the time and the opportunity to share our faith in Esther it says that we're here for such a time as this make the most of this week how was your last week were you able to share your faith with your friends be encouraged to take hold of the opportunities that we have because as I said earlier we don't know what tomorrow will bring and it's important that God wants us to share his love so as the bubbles are going everywhere see if you can catch them see if you can take that opportunity to share maybe those bubbles and that love with those around you today apologies for any mess on your floor from the bubbles and that but it's important that we share the word of God. And I'm going to pass over to Pastor Greg. Thank you, Karen. I know that when I uh, get back to my house, if it's anything like normal with bubbles, I'm going to need to be so careful when I walk in because the carpet is going to be slick with bubbles. Um, There is literally no uh, limit to my kids' uh, appetite for bubbles. I know when when Karen said, what do you think when you first see bubbles? Um, What I've noticed from my children is they stop thinking at that point, and they will chase the bubbles no matter what. If those bubbles led them into a mouth of a lion or straight off a cliff, then they would follow those bubbles. Um, That just is the most important thing. Um, As Karen said, we've been talking about these these issues and these these thoughts of, of loss 
and of grief and uh, what these things might mean for us as Christians because what we believe very strongly is um, that there is a very particular um, way of of viewing our lives and this world uh, when we are in Christ and that actually to be a Christian it's not about it's not about rocking up to church it's not just about doing kind of religious activities it's about a fundamental change in who we are principally who we are in relationship to God that that through Jesus we can know what it is to be reconciled to God as our father wouldn't you rather know God as your father and when we do know God as our father well, it changes everything It changes how we can face the tough stuff of life, even how we can face death itself. And over recent weeks, we've been exploring that, as as Karen has said. And today, we're going to conclude our time in these uh, things as we talk about how God not only can make things beautiful in his time, as we discussed last week, but how God can break in at just the right time in our lives. The story goes that in early 1874, there was an inventor named Elisha Gray, and he transmitted a few musical notes over a telegraph wire. He thought to himself, if I can send music, perhaps I could send the human voice as well. The New York Times at the time reported predictions of a a talking telegraph, as they called it, and the public began to grow eager for it. Just one year later, the inventor Gray, he thought he had the answer. Kind of tin can-like voice chambers connected by a wire encapsulated in a liquid that could turn vibrations into signals is what came into his mind. But inexplicably, you know, he did not put his idea onto paper for two months. After finally making the sketch, he waited four more days before he went to the patent office. When he arrived, Mr. Gray was told that just two hours earlier, a school teacher had come through that same door with his own sketch and had already applied for the patent. His name? Alexander Graham Bell. Now, if you compared the sketches, the voice chambers, the wire, the, the liquid, everything was pretty much the same. The reason we know the name Alexander Graham Bell, and until today you've probably never heard the name Elisha Gray, is simply because one man seized the opportunity when he could. The other one waited until it was too late. Today we're going to talk about how it is that we can can be in that moment, how it is that we can actually persevere through the tough stuff so that when the time is right, we could seize the moment. I think it's a challenge knowing how and when to seize the day, as it were. I'm not sure you can, you can always be seizing. I think it would be exhausting, in fact. You know, we live often in times of waiting, in times of, of pruning, feeling like we're being cut back, times which seem to reduce us. Perhaps you feel like we're living in such a time right now. And yet moments of opportunity still arise. Moments that are freighted with with possibility and with promise. So when to act and how? Christian life is all about that kind of attention. We live, of course, in what we might term the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. You see, fully, wondrously, Jesus has come into our world. It's a bit of a spoiler alert for Advent, but Jesus is coming when Christmas arrives. I don't know whether you knew that already, but... Jesus has, he's fully come. 
and he fully initiates his kingdom. He doesn't stay as a baby in a manger. This may come as a surprise to you, but he brings actually into our world justice and peace and healing and wholeness and joy. It's all there, all in Jesus, and it is all through him to us. Yet here we are. We're in a broken world, a hurting world, a a world of need. There is the now, the fullness of Jesus, and yet the not yet of still facing these problems. We surely long for the fullness of God. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, none of that ever again. And so we wait. That's not passive. No, this is not a a lackadaisical popcorn munching sit off on the couch while we do nothing. No, we wait with eager anticipation. As the angels of old, one starlit night, we're told, over Bethlehem, you know, waiting for that moment when the song would begin. And then suddenly, we wait with faithful endurance and God-honoring investment of our lives. We place one Christ-following foot in front of another as we walk in his ways. And then suddenly. How do we manage that tension between perhaps on the one hand sorrows and grieving which are inevitably a part of our lives and that eager expectation of the breaking in and the breaking out of God's kingdom. Romans 5 and verse 6 tells us this, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly at the right time. You see, God knows how to handle these tensions. He knows the right times. He knows how to well plan our salvation and our healing and his glory. How to interrupt our brokenness with the suddenlies of his perfect intervention. Romans 3 and verse 26 talks of God's divine forbearance. There's some patience, hey? So that he would then show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God was patient for you, for me, waiting to bring us to himself. You know, as we enter into this season of Advent, of the waiting for Christmas, the coming of Jesus, our Savior, we would do well to remember that God is patient. He's patient even in sorrow at the brokenness of our world. He is not quick to anger. He's patient even in suffering. The long road of the life of Christ shows that patience, that road that he walked to the cross. Again, speaking to God's perfect timing. In the Old Testament, we read these words of Jeremiah in chapter 33 and verse 15. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. God's timing is perfect, but hey, it requires patience. Those words that Jeremiah spoke of God, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the time of Christ coming. And yet he does come. He has perfect timing and when he will break in. God wants to spend that time well with you. See, God knows about the times of mourning and he mourns with those who have lost. And he knows his time for lifting up the weary head. His time of tending to the wounds of the sick. And his time of miraculously breaking in with healing. But what about us? 
What about your timing? Psalm 106 verse 3 provides an insight and a challenge to us when it says, Blessed are those who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Wow, that's some timing, isn't it? At all times righteous. Even in these in-between times, those tough times when you're waiting for the miracle times. Well, we've been talking about grief and loss and death and mourning. And we've discussed, haven't we, the basic wrongness of death. You know, for the Christian, it's right for us to be offended by death and to know that God will eventually put death to death. It will be no more. We've talked of the process of mourning and of God bringing restoration and renewal through grief. And, you know, we've recognized that in a manner of speaking, when a family member dies, in reality, it's as though a family has died in its current form. Everything changes. I've had it described to me recently. If you imagine a four-legged stool and one leg now removed requires that all the other legs move and change for the stool to remain stable, for the family to know stability and a way forward. Everything changes. But in light of all this, as true and helpful as it is, you know, there's the potential for us to be so involved in the demands of today, perhaps the demands of grief, the demands of loss, that we never allow for the possibility of the suddenly of God. You know, Jesus in John chapter 11 is recorded as saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You know, perhaps we're happy to think of that as some far off thing, the the end of days and, and, and Jesus coming again. But we forget all too often that Jesus spoke those words to Martha immediately prior to him going and speaking the sudden word of resurrection to Lazarus, he would come to life in that moment. Never forget that your God is a God of miraculous power, that his kingdom can and does break into this world. So we would do well to look for his coming. Come on. If you're at home, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to worship together in song. And we're going to look for the coming of Jesus. Where are your deepest longings? Why don't you pray to him today? Say, Jesus, would you come? Would you come and meet me where I am? Praise our God this morning that through the storm he is Lord of all. Now maybe right where you are at home, even now, you can just praise God that through the storms of your life, he is still sovereign. He's still God. He still loves you. And that God, whether walking with you through the storms or whether it is through calming the storms, he is present to be the one true God, the miraculous Savior who loves us and wants to lead us. This morning we're talking about how it is to to live in both those places, to to live in the the crashing seas that, that rage all around, but also to live in the moments of the miraculous. Joshua 3 and verse 5 is a a verse that I I consider very dear and precious. And in the context there, the people of God, his people, they're waiting. They're they're waiting for instruction, waiting for the mighty hand of God to move. They're waiting for battle. And God says to them, speaks to them, and then 
Joshua relays these words to the people. Consecrate yourselves. That is, set yourselves apart as holy to God. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. We have both hands, don't we? That, that work of consecration in the near, in, in, in the, in the day, today and now, and then that, that recognition that is, there are tomorrows in God, the days of wonders in our God. Tomorrow is coming, so what are you called to do today? You know, the miracle is coming, so how should you then live in moments or times of pain? You know, there's a, a famous saying, isn't there, that the, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. <laughs> or maybe you didn't. So, how does the saying go? Well, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time, now. Right now. And not to wait, not to delay. You know, church, I want to say this with all the love in the world. It seems to me that too many of us, perhaps, are living as though God doesn't want to do anything in our lives through this pandemic as though it wasn't perhaps foreseen by God, and as though he hasn't prepared to work your holiness through it. Come on, church, can that be true? It seems not. Surely God intends to turn even what is evil for good, that you might be made holy, that you might be prepared for the tomorrow of his wonders. If only you'd surrender to him today. So many of us, we can live as though God hasn't prepared good works for us to do, even though Ephesians 2 and verse tells us that he has. You know, we're hunkering down and we're acting as though God can't really reveal his goodness unless we can all be in this building singing songs. Is our God so limited? Come on. There's work to be done. There's the work of consecration. It's the work of investing in your transformed communities, genuinely loving one another and doing life together. It's the work of, as I've said already this morning, as Christmas approaches, it's it's of packing hampers and, and distributing love and care to those who have need. It's of giving financially to our love Christmas appeal. These are the things of today and of now. They won't wait. There are prayers to be prayed. There's the word of God to be treasured. We consecrate ourselves, even when we have to wait, even when things are tough, because tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among us. Christians, hoping for a vaccine is all well and good, and and I do just like you, and you know, I'll be in that queue as soon as they work through everyone who's more vulnerable than me. But we are called to hope, moreover, in the coming of Jesus. The Bible says some trust in chariots and some in horses. And you could insert instead some trust in vaccines and some trust in face masks. And look, these things are good, but ultimately our trust, the Bible says, is in the name of the Lord our God. You know, we invest in the things of the waiting, the appropriate things, the right things, the the, the tough things to do so that we might be ready for the day of his coming. We look for, we long for, we eagerly work for his all-encompassing salvation. And just for a moment, I want us to consider what this might look like in the life of a real person. In the Bible, we have the example of a man named Abraham. He was a man, let's face it, he was getting on. He had no heir, possibly no hair either, And his life didn't seem to be going in the way that he wanted it. He was wealthy. He had a lot to be thankful for, but tomorrow didn't look so good. No long for child. 
But then, suddenly, God breaks in, breaks in with a promise. And a promise is really good. But do you know what follows the promise? Well, more waiting. He's received the promise of the child, the family, what's going to become a nation, what's going to become the blessing of God to the whole world. And then he has to wait and wait and wait until then again, suddenly, God miraculously provides the son of the promise. He miraculously heals what seems to be a broken situation with the joy of life for them and through them life for the world. We see these miracles of the suddenlies, but I want you to jump then towards the, uh, later on in the story, towards the end of the story. And in Genesis 23, we, we find Abraham again and his wife, Sarah, has passed away. And in verse 2 of that chapter, we hear that Sarah died in the place that is called Hebron. For, for most of us, we understand that. It's in the land of Canaan. And the Bible tells us there that Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. This is a guy who's known the, known the faithfulness of God. He's known the miraculous moments of God. And yet, it's still right for him to be sorrowful, to mourn, to weep in times of loss. And the Bible tells us in the verses that follow that he, he asked for land from those who lived around him to bury her and to memorialize her, to speak of her character, her God-honoring nature into the world. And, you know, he wouldn't take it as a gift, but... He wanted to pay, to pay the price of grief. He was investing in the hard work of today. The Bible tells us also that he was what's called a sojourner. He was a, a temporary resident in the land. He'd been there a long time, but it still really wasn't his place. Perhaps we also are to be reminded that we are pilgrims like him on a journey. We're not yet at home. The Bible tells a story with a, a certain kind of abruptness. In that we recognize that like Sarah and then Abraham to follow, each moment might be our last. We might be called home to glory tomorrow, even today. So how shall we live? How navigate the tensions of the, the suddenly of God's miracle, like the birth of the son of promise? Isaac comes into the story. The tension between that miraculous giving and the way of faithfully journeying through the pain of loss. In these chapters, and you can read them for yourself, they show us Abraham doing the following things. Well, he grieves, and he grieves well. 1 Corinthians 10 and 31 tells us that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Have you ever applied those verses to your grief, to your loss, to your struggle, to your suffering? Because they can be. Whatever we do, we can do these things for the glory of God. And so we invite him into these things. We don't make grief or loss a, a small inconsequential thing. There's nothing wrong with showing our love and respect for those that we've lost. And speaking through our investment and the way that we memorialize those who have gone. We speak a, a better word, a better way. We speak of Christ. We invest ourselves fully like Abraham, will pay the price. There's a price to be paid in living in the here and now. Too many Christians, we're, 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 we're only consumed one way or another. We're, we're all about the suddenly and the eternity, and, and we're so little involved in the here and now. Or on the other hand, too many are so involved in the here and now that we never speak of God's tomorrows. Abraham does both. 
He pays the price of today. Knowing that God was faithful yesterday, he will be faithful tomorrow. And so he plans for the next generation. If you read on into chapter 24, he, he goes about, after the passing of his wife, finding a wife for his son. He knows that God's promises are going to be fulfilled in times to come. And onwards, he counts his blessings. He's thankful. He's generous. And always expects God to do wonders. In Genesis 25 and verse 11, we find this profound statement that after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. That Isaac, who had come in through the miraculous moment, those wonders weren't going to be stopped even after the death of Abraham. God was still going to do wonders. How right it is for Abraham to do the work of today. Because in the tomorrow, even after he's gone, God was going to break in miraculously in the life of the son. In all of these things, there is God's promise and Abraham's plan. God will break in miraculously, so faithfully do the work. I don't know whether you realized, um, but recently, Rabbi Lord Sachs, he, um, he passed away. And how the, the new chief rabbi chose to, to write about him was to frame that within the life of Abraham and Sarah. He wrote that reflections at the time of Sarah's death presented an opportunity to recognize her greatness in a way that would preserve her legacy and have a deep impact upon the lives of so many over the generations to this very day. And he wrote how you could actually think that about the passing of Rabbi Sachs. I, I, for one, have always been a huge fan of his writing and his speaking. You should check it out. Helpfully for these times, Rabbi Sachs explained that to overcome periods of adversity requires this, a special kind of thought, the ability to see things differently, to alter perspectives, to see the things you've seen all along but have never really noticed. And Rabbi Mervis, the chief rabbi today, had the insights that the Hebrew word for year, shana, comes from a root word that means repetition. The years, they, they're all about repetition. He makes the case that the Jewish year has the same months, the same seasons, the same festivals, year in and year out. And yet, the Hebrew word for month, chodesh, comes from a word which means new. A new moon ushers in a new month, which is different from the last and, and brings with it something fresh, distinct. And so within the Jewish thought, there is both repetition, the same every year, and renewal each and every month. And within the context of our unchanging divine life in God, we're also called to do the work of what is happening over and over but within it to rediscover it in new ways. Repetition and renewal. Doing the work and expecting the miraculous. Living out the life of God's promise, even when time is tough. Knowing that if we consecrate ourselves, God breaks in into our tomorrows. And so we can deal with death and we can await resurrection. I would urge you now as we come again to worship God, just to, to do some work of handling the tension of that. Look, until Jesus comes again, that tension is not going to go away. But in the here and now, God's Spirit would be with us 
so that we might do that work of repetition and renewal, do that work of, of holding fast to the promise even as we await the miraculous and believe that God is good in all these things. Praise God. Don't you love singing these songs of the season? Hark the herald angels sing. We sing glory to the newborn king. I love that, that, that line within there, late in time, behold him come. Speaks, doesn't it, to that sense of waiting, of longing, of, of knowing that he's coming. And, and the, the, the carol is just absolutely jam-packed with anticipation. I read recently of an article um, in Forbes magazine. It's that, that business and wealth magazine from the States. And they reported um, the conclusion of a guy called Chuck Feeney. There's an American name for you. Chuck Feeney's uh, journey to give away his fortune. The article was titled, The Billionaire Who Wanted to Die Broke Is Now Officially Broke. Feeney, aged 89 at the time, he co-founded the airport retailer Duty Free Shoppers in 1960. If you can remember what it's like to go to an airport, it's been a while, hasn't it? Um, you, you know those Duty Free outlets? He amassed billions while living kind of a monk-like life, uh, monk life of frugality. And over the last four decades, Feeney has donated more than $8 billion to charities, universities, foundations worldwide through his foundation. He did it all anonymously. And because of his clandestine globe-trotting giving campaign, Forbes called him the James Bond of philanthropy. I think that's a pretty good title, isn't it? I like that. And his example ignited, as it were, a kind of firestorm of radical generosity by other rich people. More than 210 billionaires have signed what's now known as the Giving Pledge to date. In an article titled, Zero is the Hero, Feeney summarized his mission in a few sentences. He wrote, I see little reason to delay giving when so much good can be achieved through supporting worthwhile causes. Besides, it's a lot more fun to give while you live than give when you're dead. Now, at the conclusion of his journey to broke, Feeney tells Forbes, hey, we learned a lot. We would do some things differently, but I am very satisfied. I feel very good about completing this on my watch. And to those wondering about giving while living, try it. You'll like it. I love that story. I love that fact that, you know, we, we, we can't live our lives as though there's going to come a moment somewhere down the tracks where everything comes together perfectly and then we can start to invest or to give. We know that life is going to be full of tough times, that life is going to be full of seasons when we are going through loss, and, and then we might be cautious in our spirits. Can I give? Can I invest? Can I be a part of God's purposes? But that example tells us, hey, today is the day, because tomorrow God might break in. And I feel it is just so very important in this day and age for, for we Christians to understand these things and to live them out. You know, we live in a world which really it does not have a good culture of loss or of grief. Nor does it know anything of God's culture of healing or resurrection. In the absence of these good and God-given things, what does it have? Well, it seems to me that our world is developing a, a kind of a culture of death. 
to go around the globe very briefly. In the, in the Netherlands, even during this pandemic time, legislation is being proposed and debated to extend euthanasia to those who are aged under the age of 12. You know, truthfully, what they're offering is the idea of, of killing children who are maybe terminally ill or otherwise incurable. How can this be right? Abortion increasingly is a lifestyle choice here in the UK and now facilitated by pills which now come through the post during these pandemic days. It remains yet to be seen how many more children have been lost for our convenience and how many women's lives are blighted for the lack of care in the process. Radical abortion agendas are advanced in New Zealand as well a country which has been rightly applauded for saving lives against the COVID pandemic, and yet which seems to only save lives of those they've decided are valuable and worth saving, other lives to be dispensed with. Perhaps, uh, ironically, because of a a soap opera storyline, the idea of, of Down syndrome comes again to the fore and We are aware that in our world it's all too easy for Down's babies to be screened out and then gotten rid of to the extent that there are now none being born in Iceland at all. We need to be people who don't come up with such cheap and horrendous ways of dealing with death, dealing with sorrow or suffering or loss. We can't simply just put it away or put people away when times are hard. We need to be people as Christians who know how to cope and deal with and and live through and love through the anguish of loss and of death and who resolutely speak the value of life. We need to be people who can faithfully persevere in hardship and powerfully proclaim the miracles of our God. There's a very famous old hymn writer, William Cowper, who lived in the um, 1700s. And he was a man who was deeply familiar with these anguishes and grief. His life was marked by them and, and very deep and severe sorrows, perhaps even depression. But he knew the power of Christian truth in his waiting and longing for his Savior. And the, power, the need for God's people to call to mind what is most true in the moments of our darkest nights. He wrote a a very familiar hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And it goes like this. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. 
those words that, that God's purposes will ripen fast, that suddenly he will move upon those who are looking for him, waiting for him, that even though in life we might know that reality, the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. What does the scripture teach us? What does the example of Abraham teach us? Grieve well. Be immersed, invested in these times of sorrow and and loss, knowing that God is there with you, weeping those tears. And yet, God is on the move. For we the Christians, knowing death, we might speak life. And there's no contradiction in the two. We began last week with a story from the the Titanic disaster. And we're going to close there with a story from the same today. The last hours of a man named John Harper, who was known as the bravest man on the Titanic. And his last letter, in fact, just sold at Sotheby's for £42,000, no less. I think his life might be worth looking at. He boarded the Titanic bound for Chicago, and he was invited to preach at that city's moody church. His wife had recently died. I think he knew something of grief and loss. And so he was traveling with his sister and with his six-year-old daughter, Annie Jessie. When the ship began to sink, survivors recalled Harper taking off his life jacket and giving it to another man, saying simply, you need it more than I do. Others described him preaching the gospel, preparing people for eternity right to the very end. And having ensured that his sister and his daughter had made it safely into a lifeboat, Harper remained ministering and soon found himself with so many others in the icy water. Floating near another drowning man, he called to him, Are you saved? No, I'm not saved, the desperate man replied. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Harper cried, and you will be saved. Moments later, Harper himself disappeared beneath the surface, never to return. But but that man was saved from the waters and was indeed saved in Christ. Four years later, he testified to his conversion at that moment in something he wrote entitled, John Harper's Last Convert. Annie Jessie, Harper's six-year-old daughter, and her aunt arrived safely in New York, rescued by the ship Carpathia, and only then learned of her father's heroic death. Her father's life had been characterized by these consuming commitments to the urgency of the gospel and a passion for prayer. He would sometimes apparently spend all night interceding. His brother George wrote of him, "'My beloved brother was a man mighty in prayer.'" He was a master of this holy art. I have been with him in prayer again and again when his whole frame shook like an aspen leaf. So earnest was he in his pleadings with God for a perishing world. Little wonder hard hearts were broken and stubborn wills subdued under his ministry. A fellow evangelist, W.D. Dunn, gave another report saying, I can say that no pastor, nor teacher, nor evangelist ever moved my inner being more than the pleading and preaching of John Harper. He was always on fire for God and souls. How often I heard him say, when lying on his face before God, covered with perspiration, Oh God, give me souls or I die. This morning when you consider his life, your life, in this world today, it seems to me, perhaps the Titanic is an apt comparison. 
truth is, there are many wandering around in ignorance of their danger, even as disaster approaches. And as disaster unfolds, people can seem so apathetic to their need of salvation. Of course, when times get really hard, blind panic and desperation can then erupt. What about you? What about the Christian? Will you be one who is at the mercy of the highs and lows of this life, its tragedies and triumphs, one moment sailing on an even keel, the next likely to capsize? Wouldn't you rather be like John Harper? like Abraham, so minded by the steady certainty of God and and by the sudden need of salvation also, that nothing will take you from the significant purposes of God for your life and through your life. Christian, I urge you, I urge you, I urge you, know God in the times of waiting, in the times of loss. Work with all your heart towards the work of consecration, the work of gospel proclamation, so that the suddenlies of God might break into your life, but the lives of your neighbors as well. This morning we've talked, haven't we, how we can be giving, giving financially. We can give our time. We can pack a hamper, take a a pack of goodies to a family. We can love somebody who is otherwise isolated, write to them, bake for them. We can do 101 things. We can invest with our transformed communities and going to our neighborhoods and communities and taking the love of Christ Jesus this Advent, speaking the truth of Christmas. This is true and lasting hope. So church, as we come now to close in in song, in worship, in these things that are such treasure to us, come on, don't leave it there. How will you go? What will you do? Would you respond to the God who gave everything for you? We have this opportunity now to take the cup. If you're prepared to share in communion at home, then you can do so right now. I encourage you, as you take the bread and know that Jesus walked the hard road and brought the suddenly of salvation, would you consider your life before him and say, How then shall I? How then shall I walk this faithful hard road and expect the suddenly of his coming? And so we take and we eat. And again, we take the cup and we say, Christ Jesus, as you poured out your life of holiness, as in that moment of your death, And then in the suddenness of your resurrection came life for us all. Christ, that we would pour out our lives for the suddenness of new life to come. Amen. As we worship, as we close, church, we're going to put available to you now the links that you need to allow you to give. You can respond to determine how you're going to invest yourself this Christmas time. But we do so in the shadow of the cross, in the light of his coming. We do so as people who grieve well and live well and love well because we're longing for the coming of Jesus. So respond today and let's love Jesus and love one another as well as he has loved us. Amen. Once again, it's been such a delight to be able to share together as a church this morning. 
and uh, we know uh, that taking what God has been doing in our lives, we can go and have wonderful weeks with him. Just to um, invite you um, to journey together with one another as we go through the week. We as a church, we don't just gather, but we get going into what God has for us together. And we have these things called transform communities. We would love to help you to connect with other like-minded people who are exploring God's goodness and grace and seeing how they can be a part of his transforming work in the world. So again, hit us up, get in touch. We'd love to help you to connect anything that you need, any prayer requests, do let us know. And we'll love to see you again this time next week. God bless you and bye for now.